So I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to introduce Bayana. He has spoken here before, maybe a couple times, right? I think you've, you've been here before. And so I'm reading from Matthew 14, and I'm reading verses 22 and 23, and Bayana will be speaking from this text this morning. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Bayana, you want me to keep going? 32. Okay, I'll keep going. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down, got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So I've introduced Bayana before, and I um, was uh, laughing with him in my office in the hour that preceded this, and, and so many memories flooded back of, um, of being with Bayana. Bayana was the first of the interns that came to PCC from another nation, and he came and we learned from him, not only about his nation and about uh, his studies there, uh, but we then traveled to Malawi. And uh, I guess it was after that. Somehow you, got, somehow you got here and somehow we got there more than once. And it's been, it's been a great opportunity. And he is back. He, he leads uh, Wings of Hope Ministry. He does uh, ministry on the radio and on the television in Malawi. Uh, and that's a trick because I think there's one channel of television. Or is it expanding like ours? There's just one. And so he got enough time to do uh, ministry and devotional um, on, the, uh, on the one network in Malawi. So he's involved with ministry with high school students in the area of, of HIV and AIDS, but then expanding into all kinds of responsibilities of, of growing up. So he's involved in church, he's involved in lots of things, and he has uh, a wife, Shingi, and one daughter. And so it's great to have you here, Bayana. Why don't you come up and I'll pray for you. Father in heaven, I give you thanks for Bayana and for his bringing the word this morning. I thank you for a long-term relationship with him and ministry in and out, both here um, as well as Malawi. And thank you for our participation in Wings of Hope. 
Um, and Lord, I, I thank you and bless him as he travels back to Malawi this week. We're grateful for him today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. First of all, I'd like to say that I consider this special privilege for me to be able to come and to speak. I never take this for granted. I'd like in a special way, I'd like to thank um, Tim Sanquist, an old friend of mine. And it's been great to see what God has done over the years through uh, this friendship. And I'll never forget the time that I, I stayed uh, in his house uh, some seven summers ago. Uh, in a special way, I would also like to uh, thank the band that played this morning. Um, VK, uh, Shep, David, Brett, Darwin, Sid. Uh, you guys were great. Thank you so much that you could come along and play. Um, as they played, it reminded me something. It's, it reminded me of my childhood. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, a very conservative Presbyterian church in Africa. And my father moved from being a soil chemist to become a minister of the gospel. And we didn't like the transition. But anyways, I remember at one time he was moved to this congregation in the remotest part of the country. And there was no organized choir in that church. But there was my uncle from my mother's side. And this uncle of mine, he was one of those people who was just very daring uh, those people that would be willing, you know, to stick up at any time. And each time my father would ask, is there any choir or is there any, anybody who would like to come and sing, um, my uncle would walk up there. And once he got to the front, he would say, well, I've got this hymn that I'd like to sing, but I would like to sing it with, um, with my nephews, referring to me and my twin brother. And so he would call our names, Nasi and Bayana, can you please come up? And so we'd join him and would be discussing what song we're going to sing. And, and it was the most embarrassing thing, you know, for, for us as teenagers. Uh, but he somehow kind of liked it. And, and then we would sing, would, you know, people would try, the congregation would try to help us in. And we just hated that. Um, and then Sunday after Sunday, this would happen. So we came to a point where my twin brother and I would literally, if we saw that Uncle Fremont was in the church that morning, would hide, would make sure we hid, and he couldn't be able to see us. And so he knew that we were kind of, you know, running away from him. And, and so he would come up and you'd say, well, I was expecting the Chunga boys to be here. And so I don't know if you have seen them in here. And somebody would say, oh, here they are. And once again, would be called up. And uh, I was just so excited that this morning nobody forced me to go up there and sing. Um, so I thank God for that. Let us pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you because of who you are. We're about to hear your word. We ask you to be with us. For I know, God, that without your presence, this moment and this time is going to be meaningless. We call for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In about four days' time from now, on Thursday night, 1043, I'm going to be flying out from San Francisco International Airport on at least a five to six hour flight to Washington, D.C. And I'll be there for a couple of hours, layover, 
before connecting on a 14-hour flight, non-stop, to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I have a few hours in Addis Ababa, and then I'll get on a five-hour flight to the capital city of my country, the long way, which is four hours away from uh, my city, Blantyre. I have a lo long layover, about seven hours, before I get on the last flight uh, to my city. And from the airport, it would take about 10 minutes before I can get to sit on our couch with my wife and my daughter. And as I look forward to this trip, I'm sure some of you are going, oh my goodness, all those hours on the airport, all those hours, you know, sitting in that little thing, you know, I wouldn't want to fly for those many hours. Some of you are better travelers than I am. But I wouldn't blame you if you say that's a lot of hours traveling. And to be quite honest with you, I don't like the fact that I'm going to be traveling all those hours. But there's something that excites me about this trip, about these long hours. It's the fact that at the end of all these hours and these layovers, I'm going to see my wife and I'm going to see my daughter. That I'm going to go back to my country and be able to save God once more with new ideas and with a rekindled zeal to do God's work. And I know that when I get there in Blanter, when I hold my wife and my daughter, and when I get back to doing what God has called me to do, I'll forget about what I went through, the layovers and all the hours that I went through. Life in so many ways is like a journey. The goal, the purpose of life is the destiny. But somehow, before you get to a destiny, you've got to go through a process, and that is what is called a journey. In everything that you do, there's going to be a journey, there's going to be a process for you to get to the destination point. And even in the Christian life, we also are on a journey of faith. You know, I remember talking to my wife. She went through all that process of expecting a baby and after losing a few, you know, it was not an easy experience. But the moment she had that baby in the hand, to be able to see her face changing, to see the life and the excitement in our life. I said, I want another one. I said, have you forgotten what you went through? And she's like, what did I go through? And I had to remind her. Well, but I can understand that. And women can understand that better than we can do men. Because the joy of having a baby in your hands just overlaps the pains and whatever struggles you went through. And that's the mystery and that's the secret about a destiny. The victory that comes after war has got the potential and the power to remove all the scars and the pains that you experienced during the fight. Because at the end of the day, you don't talk about the scars. You talk about the victory. You talk about the trophies. Even in a soccer tournament or a tennis match, you don't talk about that double fort when you've got the trophy in your hands. You talk about the ultimate goal. And in the Christian life, we've got the same. You know, God and eternity is our goal. And that is our destiny. But before we get there, there's a process. And for some of us, that is 50 years. For some of us, that's 70 years. For some of us, that's 100 years. Tim's mom just turned 99, uh, 99 years old. And I was saying, wow. Because, you know, people don't live that long in Malawi in my country. 
And for some people, it's going to be that long before they can get to eternity. Jesus Christ lived for 33 years on earth. He officially started his ministry work when he was 30. He died at 33. He had three official years of doing ministry work. And that kind of tells us something. It's not how long you do ministry, it's the quality of the ministry that you do that can make the whole difference. But there's something that happened over these years as you're serving and moving on to the destiny. And that thing is what we just read today. From the book of John, uh, Matthew chapter 14, from verses 22 to 32. This is one of those many events that happened on this journey of faith for Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the passage of Scripture that we've just read, the passage of Scripture starts with the words, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, you don't have to have A grade in English for you to know that if a story starts with immediately, there must have been something that happened prior to this. Well, and you don't have to be a, a theologian either for you to find out what happened because all you have to do is open your Bible and look at the preceding story. And what happened was Jesus Christ had just fed 5,000 people. Well, technically, it was more than 5,000 people because in those days, they would never count women, no children. So this was more than 5,000 people, maybe even 9,000 or 10,000 people. And I've said this, that food is a basic necessity for humankind. And when you reach out and you meet a basic need of man, man has the tendency, from my experience in Africa, to develop loyalty to whoever gives out and meets that basic need. I can understand when a woman feels disappointed by a man who is not able to provide and protect her. Because I believe that loyalty sometimes goes hand in hand with the fact that you are, your needs are being met. So here, here, here's something, here's something. Jesus Christ feeds over 5,000 people. He gives them food. And I don't know about America, but if you go to an, an African village and you give kids food, They'll be very excited. Everybody's going to be excited if you give them free food. And you know what? If I gave out food in a village and then the next thing I say, uh, you know what? I want to run for the parliament. I want to be in the Congress. Um, anybody thinks it's a good idea? I, I'll be, I'm 100% sure that everybody's hand is going to be up in the air. Because I'll have met a basic need in their life. And because of that, they'll be excited. And I'll be the man of the moment. That's exactly what Jesus Christ was going through. He had fed these people, and there was so much excitement. And some were, I guess, even suggesting, well, this is the king. Let's make him king. But you know what? It was not the right moment for him to be crowned king in as much as he was the son of God. And because he was a man who understood his vision and his purpose in life, he did not allow success to distract him. And what he did was he sent his disciples away from the crowd, and eventually he moved out too. On this journey called faith, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, success sometimes can be a challenge. Because success has the tendency to distract us and take our focus away from the vision and from the goal 
from our destiny and make us celebrate about what we have achieved and about ourselves. And I know that from being in ministry, how so many times God has had to wake me up and say, hey, that's, that, those stories are from two years ago. You better stop and move forward. Yes, God is doing a great thing, yes. But what about tomorrow? What about the ultimate goal? What about the bigger vision and the bigger picture that God has given us? You know, my brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not want to lose his focus because of these people who were excited about his, his miracles. Now, he sends everybody away. Then he goes to the mountain place, and he's alone, and he begins to pray. The discipline of prayer is the secret of any successful Christian man and woman. John Wesley once said, prayer, that is where action is. That's what he said. Martin Luther, the reformer, once said, if I don't spend two or three hours in a day in prayer, then I've sold the day away to the devil. One of the most renowned theologians, Charles Spurgeon, once said, I would rather teach one person to pray than teach ten people how to preach. If you show me a disciplined man in prayer, I will show you a great man of faith. It's very easy in the crowd and the excitement of our success to lose focus and not to connect with God. I was talking to Tim and I was telling him, I'm doing so much in ministry, but you know what? Even in that busy moment, it's very easy to lose focus in my relationship with God. I'm doing God's work, yes. But that is no excuse and that is no replacement. That is no substitute for prayer life. I believe that a lot of Christians have never realized the potential of the Christian faith on this journey because we have not mastered the discipline of prayer life. Now, it's not easy, and that's why it is a discipline. Because schedules are not going to allow you to pray. Your kids are not going to allow you to pray. Your spouse is not going to allow you to pray. Or they won't say it, but they will be there to distract you as much as they can. And your work schedules, everything. And you've got to stand out like Jesus Christ and be able to say, you know, crowd, yeah, I know, you know, all of you, you, you know, you, you enjoyed the food and there's leftovers and you're excited about this, but you've got to go now. My disciples, you know, I like hanging around you, but I think you've got to go now because now I just want to be alone with God, with my Father, and to reconnect. And after that moment of reconnection, he decides to go back to the disciples who are on this boat. And guess what route he uses? Oh, he's walking on the water. Now, as he's walking on the water, the disciples are in this boat. And the Bible says it was the fourth hour. It was the fourth watch. Now, time was divided into different segments. The first watch was between 6 to 9 p.m., Second watch was between 9 to midnight. The third watch was between midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth one was between, four, uh, it was between 3 to 6 in the morning. So that's the time. 
that Jesus Christ is walking on water, which means the rest of the other time, he's alone talking to God in prayer in the mountain. What about that? And this is God himself. He can easily say, I don't need to pray. I mean, I don't need that. But he understands the need to reconnect and talk to his father. And that's what we should be. Now, as he's walking in water, the disciples are looking at this man, looking like a ghost, and they're so afraid. When you study the history and the culture of those days, you know, ghosts were connected with bad things. So when they saw that somebody looking like a ghost, they're already connecting, oh my gosh, something bad is going to happen. And besides, the passage that we've read tells us that there was a wind that was already pushing the boat around. So they make that quick connection and they become very anxious and they're afraid. But Jesus Christ tells them, do not be afraid. And I always say that in a group of people, you always, someone, you always have someone like Simon Peter. Simon Peter says, is it you, Jesus? Because if it is you, then allow me. Not allow the rest of the crew, that's Simon Peter character. He said, allow me to walk on the water. Well, if I was Jesus Christ, perhaps I would have said, hey, you proud guy, you know, you're not, you're not going to come. I'll ask somebody else to come. But Jesus just lets go, and he says, well, you can come. And Simon Peter, being very daring as he was, and you can, you can go into the Bible and just look at the many things that Simon Peter did, and you can see what kind of an outstanding character he was among the 12 disciples. He was in the inner circle. He moves out from the boat, lands on the water, and he makes a successful landing. And at that moment, I'm sure, he's so excited. He's so excited. Now, can you imagine what's going on in the, in the, in the minds of the other disciples? Some of them, as he takes more steps, there's more confidence building up in the life of Simon Peter. Yes, it's possible. I can do it. I can walk on water like Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thinking some of the disciples are, th are figuring out, man, this guy, when he comes back, we're going to hear about this story for the next hundred years. Some are trying to figure out, oh my gosh, why did you allow Simon Peter to do this? We are in big trouble. I'm sure there are all kinds of sentiments going on, in as much as they've not been recorded. Now, Simon Peter makes a few successful steps on the water. Now, this is what I've come out to conclude after uh, time for prayer, uh, praying about this passage of Scripture. I seriously doubt if Simon Peter came out from this boat and as he landed on the water and Jesus Christ is over there, he started walking like this. I seriously doubt it. Common sense tells me no. Common sense tells me that when he got out of this boat, he has his eyes fixed at Jesus and he's coming like that little Quamara daughter that I have who just turned one on July 1st. And a lot of you are parents. When you call out your son or your daughter, I'm sure they don't come like this to you and say, Daddy, carry me. I'm sure that they, they, they throw their arms like that, looking a little helpless. And it's one of the greatest feelings as a father to be able to lift that child from the ground and to be able to put them in your hands, to be able to kiss them and to be able to say, how are you doing? 
Don't be afraid anymore. You're with daddy. You're in daddy's hands. Now, at this moment, Simon Peter is forging on. And the more steps he takes, the more confidence is building up. Then, remember what I said earlier on. Success can be a distraction. And all of us who have got to fight against that in our lives in one way or another. I'm very sure that there will be some people in heaven who will say, God, I thank you so much for not making me as successful as I thought I needed to be in the world. Because if I had to be, I would not have ended up being here. I also pray that there's going to be people who are going to realize that even though they're going to be successful in this world, they're going to pursue God and pursue him all the way to the finishing point. Now, at this moment, the Bible says, Simon Peter looked at the wind. And then it says, after he looked at the wind, he was afraid. After he was afraid, the Bible says, he began to drown. After he began to drown, the Bible says, he began to yell for help. There's that sequence of events that happens. Now, first of all, just for a second, try to, try to look at it from this way. Try to visualize this. Here is Peter, Simon Peter walking on the water. And I'm very sure that at some point, he is confident enough now to look around. And as he throws his eyes around, he sees this big wind. And he's very terrified. At that one moment, he loses focus of Jesus Christ, and that's all it needs for him to get into trouble. At that moment, when he starts focusing not on how powerful and mighty Jesus Christ is, but on the ability of the wind to drown him. That's the moment that trouble begins. Because it's not like there, there, there are not going to be any winds or storms in your life. They are going to be there. Tim was telling me today that life is messy, Viana. And I agree, life is messy in so many ways. And it will always be messy. No matter how, how, how good our prayer life is going to be, the world is going to be messy. But this is what is also a faithful statement to say. God will always be there. And God will always be faithful. Even when we are not faithful. And we can always count on him, no matter what. No matter what is going through, what you're going through, or no matter what your country, no matter what your economy, your business, your job, your family, your marriage is going through, you need to know that it's worth it to keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Because the moment we take our eyes off Jesus Christ, we are going to drown. And this is what happens. As he looks at the wind, he's terrified. And, 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 he's, and, 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 and he's afraid and he begins to drown. And at that moment, can you imagine now the sentiments going on in the boat now from the, from the rest of the disciples? Oh, my goodness, that's, uh, that's, I like that bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him, let him go further down. <laughs> that would be a teaching lesson, uh, humbling lesson for Simon Peter. I'm sure maybe some are thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on? He's going to die. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you can go back to the scripture, Jesus comes and grabs him. 
And then later on tells him, you of little faith. Now, if it were most of us, this is what we would have done. You of little faith, what's going on? And then we would have come and grabbed him. Look at how Jesus Christ does it. First of all, he grabs him. Then he tells him the truth. And I believe that the Christian, that the church sometimes has not always done right in terms of helping those people who have fallen on the way. I am the youngest elder in a 7,000-member church, and I'm the director of the youth. And my job, I'm not, I'm so busy that I cannot be associated with the, direction, with the operations of the ministry because 60% of the church are young people. Uh, but my job and my duty at St. Columba Presbyterian Church in Blanta is to oversee the relationship between the elders of the church and the youth. There's always conflict. And so I've been called upon to step in there and to help the, 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 the leaders understand the youth better and, and help the other way around. And sometimes it gets messy. Because these young people come to me and say, Vianna, the church, the, these guys, they don't know, they don't understand us. You know, we're 60% in this church. We just form our own church. And I'm sitting down there trying to listen to them, but also with love and care trying to try to explain some of these things. And I've, I've been on that position for about a year or two now. And I was telling Shingi, you know, that's it. I think I've got to go in as much as they want me to stay. And I'm so, I've been so uh, blessed to have a very successful relationship between the, elder, the leadership of the church and the youth for the first time for two years without, without fights. And it has not been easy. But you know what? This is what happens. The moment you look at your success story and you get distracted with it, then things start to go wrong. And so my prayer, so your prayer, is always to pray and say, God, you know, help me keep focused. Even as I become a father, even as I try and strive to become a better husband and a better wife. And finally, Jesus Christ not only you know, gives this guy hope, but takes him back to the boat. And the Bible tells us that the wind, that frightening wind that scared Peter, died down. And everybody in the boat was amazed. And they praised God. You know, I have always believed that with God, you don't have to drum up support. That with God, he didn't need to do a campaign. That with God, with Jesus Christ, he didn't, he didn't need to do, he, he did not need a, a campaign director and go around and speak about what was going on. You just needed to be around him to be able to understand who he was, how mighty he was, and for you to worship him. Interestingly, that's the same character that you've been given. Inside you, inside me, there is an ability that will make us infect wherever we go, be it an office place, be it in a church, be it in a community, to a point where everybody around us will see something in us. And they'll begin to shake their heads. And they'll say, there's something in that young man and that young woman into that old man. Not because we're great or special, but because God is special. And he has the ability and the power to change ordinary things into extraordinary things. 
One time somebody was asking me, how do you do the things that you have managed to do over the last five years or so? And I told him, it's not about my ability. It's everything about my availability for God's service. And sometimes that's all what matters. You make yourself available for God. You keep your eyes focused on the cross and you'll be surprised what an infectious person you can be in your community, in your life, in your society. And that is what God is looking for, even as we continue to journey on. May God bless you.